I don't know if you caught those words, but all I can say to you is it's easier to sing them in church than it is to live them out during the week when those trials come and say thank you. By the way, I want to give glory to God, but I, I am so grateful for the musicians in this church. I really am. And not only are they good, praise God, for the giftings that he gives, but they work so hard at bringing the right lyrics and the theme. And today, all those songs were leading up to what I'm speaking on today, and I'm so grateful for the texts that we really work hard on, so it's not going to be just uh, like uh, fast food singing here. Well, some people are good at keeping diaries and journals. I've tried, I'm on and I'm off, and right now I'm in a period where I'm off. I'm not journaling, and I'm going to give myself freedom. Otherwise, I'd beat myself up and say, if I were really spiritual, I'd be journaling. Well, there are times I'm not, but um, I ran across uh, some interesting diaries recently. The first one is some excerpts from the day in a dog's life. 8 a.m., oh boy, dog food, my favorite. 9.30 a.m., oh boy, a car ride, my favorite. 9.40 a.m., oh boy, a walk, my favorite. 10.30 a.m., oh boy, a car ride, my favorite. 11.30 a.m., oh boy, dog food, my favorite. 1 p.m., oh boy, the yard, my favorite. 3.30 p.m., ooh, bath, bummer. <laughs> 4 o'clock, oh boy, the kids are home, my favorite. 5 p.m., oh boy, dog food, my favorite. Let me take you to a few excerpts from a cat's diary. <laughs> 8 a.m., my captors continue to taunt me with bizarre little dangling objects. They dine lavishly on fresh meat while I'm forced to eat dry cereal. The only thing that keeps me going is the hope of escape and the mild satisfaction of ruining the occasional piece of furniture with a scratch. Tomorrow, I may eat another houseplant. 10 a.m., my attempt to trip my captors by weaving around their feet while they're walking almost succeeded. Must try this at the top of the stairs. <laughs> Noon, there was some sort of gathering by their accomplices. I was placed in solitary confinement throughout lunch. I overheard that my confinement was due to the power of my allergies. Must learn what this is and how to use it to my advantage. 3 p.m., I'm finally aware of how sadistic they are. For no good reason, I was chosen for the water torture. This time, however, it included a, burny, a burning foamy chemical called flea shampoo. What sick minds could invent such a liquid? My only consolation is that I bit his thumb. <laughs> and 5.30 p.m., I'm convinced the other captives are flunkies and snitches. The dog is routinely, routinely released and seems more than happy to return. The bird, on the other hand, has got to be an informant and speaks with them regularly. I'm certain he reports my every move due to his current placement in the metal cage. His safety is assured, but I can wait. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> Do you see the stark difference in mindset? And you know, one of the things in life would be, wouldn't we all do better if we more were like the dog than the cat? But far too many of us, including me, are like the cat, especially in circumstances that don't go well. It brings the cat out in us, like suffering 
and, com and we complain of what's going on and then we're suspicious of people and we try to escape suffering and it taints our attitude. Well, few of us will ever get to the place where we say, oh boy, I just lost my job, my favorite. Or, oh boy, I'm really sick, my favorite. Or, oh boy, someone has just mistreated me, my favorite. Nonetheless, when it comes to suffering, the more like the dog and the less like the cat we can be, the better off we will be. Well, once again, Peter takes us into this conversation of suffering today. And I've told you in previous sermons what the theme of this little book by Peter is. It is how to bear up under suffering for doing what's right. And you might be thinking, enough already. I've heard enough about suffering from Peter. Let's get on to a new subject. And I promise we will. But not today. You see, God knows something about us that we have a hard time understanding. He knows how difficult it is, it is for us to understand suffering and to go through it well. And so in the Bible, over and over and over, he goes again to suffering because we are slow learners. And so he wants us to deal well with suffering. It's a repeated theme. And here again, in 1 Peter, it is so. So let's turn to our passage for today. And would you stand, please, as I read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. And if you want to follow along in the sermon in the Pew Bible, it is page 1016. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God be? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You may be seated. The Christians in 1 Peter were suffering greatly and it wouldn't go away. What was their situation and how bad was it? Well, the word fiery gives us a clue. That's a very easy, literal word. It, it means to burn with fire and some people are believing that what was going on in these believers lives this word was literally happening to them for you see it was in the days of Emperor Nero when Peter was writing and it was reported that he was persecuting Christians to the extent that many Christians were doused with flammable liquid and put up in poles at night along the roadway and torched as lights at night. Now, we don't know for sure what this was, 
But we do know that whatever had happened had come with terror upon this church, severe affliction, and whatever it was, it was widespread, prolonged, terrible, and very distressing. The reality is not one of us in this church, not uh, most of us in America, have come close to this kind of suffering. But we all suffer somehow. In fact, today as you sit there, you are in one of three categories as it deals with suffering. You are either in suffering, you are coming out of suffering, or you are going into suffering. And it can change very, very fast. And it can be vicious. So, because we're all going to be either in it, leaving it, or going into it, we need some skills for coping with our suffering. And that's what Peter does today. He lays out five coping skills when we suffer. So here's the big idea. You can rise above your suffering by learning some good biblical coping skills. And they will help you, what's in this verse, to do what we talked about last week in verse 1. To arm yourself in advance for suffering. To prepare, to be like a soldier, to suit up with armor and get ready so that when it comes, it won't take you out. So let's look at five coping skills today that will help you when your suffering comes. Coping skill number one. Don't let suffering surprise you. Don't let it surprise you. Look at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Let's be honest, at least for me, even though I've been down this road long enough, I'm still surprised when things go wrong. I'm still shocked sometimes at the things that happen in life. And I think for most of us, there's this un, uh, unspoken, underlying thought that life should be good in America. And we should not have any problems in our life and nothing like that should interfere. So, one of the early lessons we have to learn as a Christian and learn it again and again and again is suffering is not foreign to the Christian life. It is not foreign to the Christian life. And so when we come to a personal relationship with Christ, and most of us have, the Lord doesn't come up to us and say, okay, now that your sins are forgiven, you're going to have the best life now. It's going to be awesome. No trials, no tribulation, and you're going to have a lot of money, and God's going to bless you, and if you don't have it, you don't have enough. That's not what the Lord says We've got to learn that the reality is suffering is normal. Let me say it again. Suffering is normal in the Christian life. And if we're going to cope with suffering, we must not let it surprise us as though it is strange. How many of you were surprised that the sun came up this morning? No. It was expected. We expect it to rise. It's part of the order of things. And just like the sun comes up every morning, so you need to expect that suffering is going to come into our lives. Ever since Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, that is the part of the order. And suffering is coming to everyone's door as certainly as the sun rises in the morning. And we have to stop 
being surprised every time it comes. Or if we are surprised, we will allow it to do a number on us. Just take projects around the house, for instance. I have this illusion, like I did Monday and Tuesday, Memorial Day, Monday and Tuesday, that things are going to go well, and I'm going to get my list done early, and then I can sit in the lawn chair and barbecue and relax. Did that happen Monday and Tuesday? No. Everything went wrong and took a whole lot more time than I thought, and guess what? I was surprised. And by Tuesday night, I said to my wife, I am not in a good mood. <laughs> you see, I was surprised. It shouldn't do that. Last night, I come back from Erie. I get into the house at 9 o'clock. My refrigerator is on the fritz. Everything is melted and smelly and everything. Do you think I said, oh boy, broken refrigerator, my favorite. I think you're relating with me. You know, this isn't even suffering, and we're surprised. This doesn't have anything to do with what's happening in 1 Peter, and yet we take these things so personally. We've got to keep on training our minds. Keep on training our minds. Annoying and bad stuff is normal. Annoying and bad stuff is normal. And if that's not our mindset, it'll keep on surprising us, and ticking us off and spoiling our day. Do you know what ought to surprise us? When things go right, that ought to be the surprise. And so Peter is trying to help us to cope that we need to understand. So let me reinforce. If you think that life should be good all the time and it is a picnic in the health and wealth gospel and all these kinds of things, when those trials and sufferings come, and they will, you're going to think it's a surprise. You're going to think that God is working against you and you are going to be kind of blown away. And so Peter is saying, coping skill number one, stop being surprised at suffering. Coping skill number two, Rejoice when you suffer. Hey, this is getting pretty tricky now, isn't it? Rejoice when you suffer. Verse 13 is so counterintuitive. Listen. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. Now tell me, if we didn't have the Bible, would you come to that conclusion? My refrigerator broke. Oh boy, I'm rejoicing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's not the way we're what. We need the revelation of God to tell us that when suffering comes, we need to rejoice. And our natural response is not to do that. I mean, can you imagine these first century Christians? And they're saying, oh, I am so happy. I am rejoicing. They're going to put me on a pole tonight and light me. I'm so rejoicing. No. It's the Word of God that informs us that we have to change our mind and how we frame those things and to keep on rejoicing when we go through suffering because it is so opposite the way we are wired naturally. So let's see if we can figure this out. What does it mean to rejoice when things go bad? Well, the first thing we need to keep in mind is to understand the word rejoice. It doesn't mean a good feeling like when you are happy. It doesn't mean that at all. So you've got to rule that out immediately. Rather, here's what rejoicing is. 
Rejoicing is an action of the mind that settles our spirit because we've been able to think our way to the end result about something difficult. I'm going to say that again because there's a lot in there. This is what biblical rejoicing is. Is the action of the mind that settles our spirit because we've been able to think our way to the end result of something difficult. And so rejoicing is an activity of the mind, not of the emotions. And so we have to think our way to rejoicing. We cannot feel our way to rejoicing. Verse 13 gives us the insight we need to help us think our way to rejoicing. When we suffer, we need to consciously think that we are connecting with Christ. We are sharing in his sufferings. And I want you to know the deepest possible connection with fellowship with Christ is in suffering. I want you to understand that the closest we can get to Christ in our affections and in our relationship with him is in sharing in the suffering. And so verse 13, that word share, when it says that we are to share Christ's suffering, means of all things to fellowship. To fellowship. Now this might be news to you, but I already said it that the, the deepest way we can fellowship with Christ is through suffering. And the Apostle Paul brings it out when he said in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the fellowship, the sharing of his suffering. Sharing sufferings with Christ is not often a prayer that we pray. We don't pray at night, Lord, Tomorrow, I want a fellowship with you, so send on the suffering. The reality is, we want a fellowship with Christ without the suffering. You see, we'd rather have our personal devotions than suffer. We'd rather have inspiring worship services than suffer. We'd rather fellowship with Christ in serving Him than suffer. We like those feel-good times when we're with the Lord, but friends, the deepest fellowship with Christ comes when we suffer and do not sin. And we will never be more closely connected with Christ than at the moments that we suffer and do not sin. And Peter tells us we can rejoice in that closeness. But hang in there with me. It goes even deeper. It's good to share closeness with Christ in suffering. But that suffering and closeness is going somewhere. It is not an end in itself. Ultimately, all suffering that we endure in fellowship with Christ is moving towards a, a greater glory yet to be revealed. And so we need to make this mental comparison when we suffer. We need to think to ourselves, I am in suffering now, and the more that I share his suffering, the greater the glory will be over there. So I suffer here now, greater glory there. And we need to understand that the suffering we have now will not be compared to the greater glory that we will share with him in his kingdom. And so this calculation has to go on in our mind in order to be able to rejoice. The greater our suffering here, the greater the glory there. Look at this verse that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The suffering here will be greater glory there. You've got to calculate that. It's Peter's way of saying what Paul said in Romans 8.18. 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory to be revealed in us. And 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we've got to think our way. It's bad now. It'll be greater then. And this mental comparison will lead us to rejoicing. But I take that one step further in my own calculations. And maybe you could too. When the bad comes to me, and I realize that in the future it will be great glory, I want to know, well, what can happen now? What can be good for what's happening bad right now? And I've come to ask myself this question for years on end. Why is this bad thing not so bad after all? Why is this bad thing that's happening to me not so bad after all? And even though my feelings may not follow, my mind will lead me to rejoicing. Case in point, May 6th, my youngest son was taken to prison. He's still there. I was a broken man that night. I was crushed. And before I went to bed, here's what I did. I asked myself this question. Why is Ben's being in prison not so bad after all? I had to find a way to rejoice. I couldn't think my way there until I asked this question. Why was it not so bad after all? And that night, I wrote down 20 reasons why it was good that he was in prison. And when I went to bed that night, I was rejoicing. It is possible when we are hurting to think our way to rejoicing. And it is a hard skill to learn to rejoice when suffering because I, by nature, am much more like the cat than the dog. And I have a hard time saying, oh boy, suffering, my favorite. But it's the only way that we'll come to rejoicing if we can think spiritually, reason scripturally, and think straight to rejoicing. Otherwise, our emotions will overtake our minds and we will be thankless, joyless, miserable people. And that's not God's will. So coping skill number three. Let's go there. Be prepared to suffer as a Christian and to respond well. Be prepared to suffer as a Christian and to respond well. That's a coping skill we must learn. And Peter says in verse 15 and chapter 2, uh, excuse me, Peter says in verse 15 what he said in chapter 2 and verse 20. If you suffer for sin and you break the law and you suffer you only go, you get what's coming, so suck it up. By the way, that last suck it up is my translation. <laughs> suffering, when you did what was wrong, that's what you had coming. But when you suffer for being a Christian, for living for the Lord, that's what we're talking about here. Now, the name Christian is used only three times in the New Testament. It means follower of Christ. And you need to know it was originally a term of derision. That if you were called a Christian, people were opposing you or persecuting you or putting you down. So it's in this context that Peter is saying how to respond and how to suffer well as a Christian. You need to cope if you are suffering for that name, for your faith, for doing the right thing. And he says there are two responses you need to make in this skill 
if you are suffering because of the name. Response number one, accept it as a blessing from God. Accept it as a blessing from God, verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And Jesus said the same thing on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Let's admit it. It is really hard to feel blessed by God when people are hurting us because we are a Christian. But Peter says, if we suffer for the name of Christ, the Spirit of God rests on us in a very special way where God is going to infuse us and enrich our lives through suffering in ways that are not possible in any other way. And verse 14 says that God himself makes a visitation to those who suffer for his name. And there is no greater blessing than the Spirit of God coming with power in the midst of suffering and resting upon you. That is the blessing we're talking about. So when we are persecuted, we do not stand alone. God stands with us and we are blessed. And so we have to count it a blessing when we suffer for what's right. But here's the second response Peter says that we're to make if we suffer as a Christian. Response number two, don't feel ashamed. Don't feel embarrassed that I'm suffering because I'm carrying the name of Christ. Look at verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify in that name. Now I know this is hard to do, but Peter says if you suffer for being a Christian, don't feel belittled, don't feel embarrassed, don't feel humiliated. You belong to the king of kings and rather count it an honor to suffer for his name. Well, you might be thinking, hey, Peter, easy for you to say. Wait a minute. It was not easy for Peter to say this. Do you know why? Because he practiced what he preached. Acts chapter 5 and verse 41 when he and the apostles were flogged and beaten. Acts 5.41 says, They went on their way rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer for his name. Peter lived what he wrote. And if you suffer for Jesus, for carrying his name, you hold your head high. Don't you ever be sorry that you're suffering for that noble name. So if people are causing you trouble because you are a Christian, you are to respond well. There is no shame in suffering for doing what's right, only honor and glory before the Lord. So don't let the enemies of Christ ever cause you to compromise the great name that you carry. Now let me put modern-day twists on this just so you understand what Peter might be saying in our modern world. Twist number one, if he were writing today, he might say, if you are bullied for the name of Christ. We live in a bullying society, and if you carry the name Christian, and you are living for the Lord, and you are being mistreated or bullied, this is what Peter is saying, hold your head high, you are carrying the honor of the name, don't be embarrassed and humiliated. That's twist number one, be willing to be bullied. Twist number two on this text. 
Peter is not an advocate of the gospel of political correctness. You see, there's a way around suffering for the name of Jesus today. Just be politically correct. Just don't stand for the truth of the gospel. Just blend with the culture. Just don't say anything from the pulpit that will offend anybody. Just don't mention things like God intended marriage to be a lifelong covenant between a man and a woman and that ordained clergy should embrace the sexual morality of the Bible. Do that. Just be politically correct. And the culture won't make you suffer. They will make you a hero. And that's the day we're living in today. And so coping skill number three is so relevant. It's about responding well to suffering for for identifying with the name of Christ. Coping skill number four. Assess whether your suffering may be from God. Verses 17 and 18. Maybe you picked it up, but there seems to be such a sudden shift here in Peter's argument. And uh, it's hard for us to understand exactly what he's about. Here's what I think he's saying. Before God judges unbelievers for their sin, he first judges his own church on earth. Before God judges unbelievers, he judges his church first. And a form of that judgment is suffering. You see, God holds Christians responsible for their sin, and sometimes he uses suffering and discipline as a refiner's fire. And there are times that those impurities need to be burned away from us. And so we have to ask ourselves when suffering comes. Is suffering from the hand, is my suffering from the hand of God because of some kind of sin in my life? There are times we need to ask the question then that David asked in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In just a few moments, we'll be coming to the communion table. And we're invited to do this very thing, to check out and see whether we're under the judgment of God. In fact, Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 11. Let a person examine himself, then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. You've been judged. But if we judge ourselves truly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And that's exactly where Peter is today in his text. We need to examine ourselves, especially when suffering, and to see whether or not the discipline of the Lord is there, a wake-up call, an act of mercy, so that we won't be judged along with the world. And that's where Peter heads. Look at the text. If it, judgment, begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? What's Peter saying? Listen very carefully. He's saying, the worst Christians will ever have it is now. God uses suffering on earth to purify his church, and when he comes again, suffering will be completely over for us. But for the unconverted, what they experience now is the best they'll ever have it. The worst is yet to come, and if the fire of God's holiness is so intense that even the righteous feel pain and discipline, then the unbeliever certainly will not survive. And that's what Peter is saying here. 
to examine ourselves so that we will not be condemned with the world because Christ is purifying his church. And so coping skill number four is assessing our situation before the Lord. Could the judgment in our lives, the suffering, be to purify us now for later glory? And now coping skill number five. Entrust your well-being to God and keep doing what's right. When suffering, entrust your well-being to God and keep doing what's right, verse 19. And here Peter reinforces a truth that he mentioned earlier in his letter. Sometimes suffering can be the will of God. We have to understand that. And just being a Christian in a hostile world environment can cause suffering. And we need to understand that too is the will of God, that kind of suffering. So coping skill number five is when you recognize that your suffering is according to God's will, Verse 19, entrust your soul to a faithful creator and keep doing what's right. Now that word entrust in verse 19 is an interesting word. It means to deposit for safekeeping. And back in those days, they didn't have a safe deposit box that you could put something in there, your valuables. What you would do is you would give your valuables to a trusted friend until you would come back after a season and they would give that back to you. It's kind of like what I do in an amusement park. If I'm going to take a wild ride, my wife will not take one, but I might. I will give her my wallet, and I will entrust my valuable to her until I am done with the ride, and she'll return it to me. And guess what? I always check my wallet, and never in 44 years has she ever taken anything out of my wallet. I entrust her that. And so that's, the, that's what this word is about. Verse, uh, chapter, 20, uh, chapter 2, verse 23, Peter said that's exactly what Jesus did when he was tortured, when he was beaten, when he was mistreated. He entrusted his soul to God. And guess what? God did okay when the Lord entrusted his soul. Yes, they killed his body, but God raised him up again. And because the soul of Christ was entrusted to God, that's the reason we are here today. God does a pretty good job of taking care of our souls when we entrust our souls to him. Now let me circle back to these two phrases. Verse 19. It says we to entrust our souls. Our souls are what we want God to keep. They may kill our body, but when you entrust your soul to the Lord, no one can kill your soul. It is safe with God for eternity, and our soul is the most important thing about us. And when we entrust it to God, suffering cannot destroy your soul. And so Peter says, entrust your soul to God. It is safe there. Here's the second important phrase. Peter says, not only do we entrust our souls, but we entrust our souls to the Creator and how important this is. We're asking the one who created the heavens and the earth, who for thousands of years has preserved them and continues to keep them. We're asking this God to take care of our souls. And if God can create and sustain the universe, my friend, he will do quite well with your soul. Amen? He will. And by the way, people who believe in evolution can't have this kind of trust in God. 
Creation, you see, is meant to be a demonstration of God's power and wisdom. And therefore, if he displayed that power, he's showing us he can take care of us. Creation shows he's powerful enough that we can entrust our souls to him. And the creator himself has promised to protect our souls when we suffer. And if there is no creator, there is no one to entrust your soul to. Do you see the stakes? But, blessed be the Lord God Almighty, we can depend on him to see us through. And if you're suffering today in the will of God, practice this coping skill and trust your soul to the creator. You can depend on him to bring you safely through. Well, in suffering, I am so much more like the cat angry, upset, taking things personally. Maybe you're that way too. And I'm not sure we'll ever get to the place in this planet, on this life, where we say, oh boy, suffering, my favorite stage. But if we can get better at five biblical coping skills that I share with you today from 1 Peter, suffering won't be so much of an enemy. It will become more of a friend on the way to eternal glory with Christ. And in that day, in that day, everything will be, oh boy, Jesus in heaven, my favorite. And we won't need to practice one of the skills, none of the skills that I'm talking about today because the old things will have passed away and God will make all things new. In the meantime, we must deal with our suffering and I hope that this sermon has helped to prepare you for communion. And so Chris comes out right now with the backdrop of what we talked about in suffering and in examining our hearts and even in judgment to come before the Lord now in communion.